Good morning, friends. It would be great to keep your Bible open. And for the kids amongst us, uh, there is a little bit of a worksheet. So if you haven't got one, there's a few spares on the back chair. Let me pray and let's spend some time in these words from Titus. Dear Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. As we reflect on it now, give us the wisdom and conviction and clarity to apply it faithfully. Amen. When we start out trying something new, it's just awesome when you get that first win. You know, that moment when you ride a bike for the first time without training wheels and stay upright. You know, or perhaps, you know, that first time you get into a car and, and drive on the road. Uh, or perhaps, uh, for me, more, a little more recently, uh, you know, that first time where you go surfing and you stand up and actually remain standing for any sort of discernible period of time. You know, we, we love those moments. Uh, they're great moments. But you don't want to live in those moments. Uh, now that you can ride, well, now you want to ride better. You know, you want to try and, and go over some bumps or up and down a gutter. Now, you want to see, well, just how fast can this thing go on just the right hill? You know, you want to go somewhere with it. And it's the same with, with being a Christian. Uh, there is something incredibly special in that moment when you come to realise who Jesus is and to own your faith for yourself. When we realise that we are loved by God, uh, when we realise that our sins can be forgiven and that God has a purpose for us in our life. Uh, it's a great moment, uh, but again, we don't want to live there. We want to keep going. We want to understand more. We want to work out, well, what does this mean in practice day to day? And so we, we start reading you know, the Bible and trying to understand what it says there. You know, we seek out people to guide us and to teach us and to encourage us. And, of course, it never ends. Uh, we can always learn. We can always be more godly. We can always be more capable and equipped. We can always be more motivated. So this letter to Titus uh, is written by Paul, and it's in the context of Titus supporting Christians on the island of Crete. So kids, if you've got the map there, now's the time to grab that as quickly as you can and find Crete. And it's really Paul the master talking to Timothy, his apprentice, sorry, Titus, his apprentice, and giving him the words to say as he's then going to set up churches in Crete. And so Paul begins his letter by laying out his credentials. So verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. So if Paul is going to teach them something about God, um, then we want to know, you know where he stands and whether he actually has access to the facts. Does he really know what is true? Uh, and the language of servant is more literally the language of slave. Uh, so it speaks to his allegiance and Paul's commitment uh, to submit to God's will for his life. And really, that's the only way we can approach God. You know, if we want to approach God, it's kind of like he's a genie, but perhaps with a few more you know, potential wishes, uh, then really we, we've got it all backwards. Uh, it's not about God conforming to our will, but how do we as God's creation live according to his will? 
And I think for some, we, we react to the word slave. I mean, servant's already offensive enough, uh, but slave is really offensive. Uh, because we don't want to be a slave, uh, we want our freedom. Uh, but in reality, we're all slaves to something, and which means we're simply trading one good master for a bad one. Uh, we become slaves to the expectation of our culture. We become slaves to our fickle and often misplaced desires. And we become slaves to our sin. You know, we like to think we're in control of ourselves and our circumstances and our emotions. But so often we know that that is simply not true. So if servant or slave speaks to Paul's allegiance, then apostle speaks to his authority. Uh, so as we just read in the earlier reading, you know, Paul became a witness to the resurrection when he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, as he was literally going to persecute followers of Jesus. And as a result of that encounter, he's given a message, but he's also given a mission to go and proclaim God's word to the world. So this is what the resurrected Jesus says about Paul. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And so in the rest of the book of Acts, we see the truth of those words played out as he travels from city to city, proclaiming Christ, but also suffering for Christ. And despite all of the persecution, people hear the truth about Jesus. They were convicted by the Holy Spirit and they become followers of Jesus. So all over the Mediterranean, we've got these cities where there are these little pockets of Christians uh, who are brand new. Uh, they have just been saved. They're enthusiastic, uh, but they're also incredibly vulnerable as they try to work out what does it mean for me to be a follower of Christ in this incredibly foreign culture? Uh, what does it mean for me? What does it mean for my family? Uh, and so Paul sends Titus. In the back half of verse 1, this is why he sends Titus. To further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. So in the Old Testament, Israel are called God's elect. They're his chosen people. And through God's chosen people, he promises to gather people from every nation of the world. And so before we even existed, before there was anything lovable about us, before there was anything unlovable about us, God chose us to love him. You know, when we talk about being a Christian, we talk about it in terms of our choice. You know, I was convinced of what was true. You know, I repented, I believed, I have faith. And each one of us is responsible for our choices as we stand before God. So that is all true from our perspective. Uh, but from God's perspective, uh, he is the one who opens eyes and opens ears. And he is the one who directs the desires of our heart. And when we come to the point of actually recognising we are chosen... Uh, then that's both incredibly humbling uh, but also liberating. Because for most of our life, who we are and how we are valued is defined by what we achieve and our abilities. You know, so we all understand you know, the expression, you get what you deserve. And for the most part, we take that as a little bit of a, a motivation to work hard or a bit of a rebuke if we're being lazy. 
You know, if you're good at soccer and you train hard, then you get into the team. Uh, if you are lazy in your work and you do a poor job, you get fired. Uh, if you are nice to people, uh, they tend to be nice to you. We, you know, we understand that that's how life works. Uh, but I think the expression can take on a bit of a cruel twist when we don't feel we are good for very much or we don't feel we are very likeable or lovable or capable. But God's election cuts through all of our inadequacy because it doesn't define us by our ability or even our goodness. It simply says we are loved. We are valued by the God who created us and God has set our feet on a path and that path is the hope of eternal life. So all the way through this letter, uh, we're going to be talking about what does it look like to do good. Uh, But Paul is not saying we do good to be saved. But saved people, people who genuinely follow Jesus, will do good. Yeah, I remember uh, when I was teaching scripture uh, years ago, uh, I used to try to teach grace, black and blue. We're not saved by good works, we're saved by grace. We're saved by grace. I can't remember how many times I said grace, but it was a lot, right? I get to the end of the year. So, how are Christians saved? Kids put their hand up, do good. <laughs> oh, you're killing me. Uh, so, I feel I say it a lot here at church. You know, we, we often talk about doing good, we want to do good, but goodness does not save us. So, as Christians who are committed to Christ, we do good. And certainly, if we're not doing good, then something's gone wrong. Either uh, we've lost our way, we've wandered off the path. Or perhaps we have not really been saved at all. Uh, And in the end, time will tell uh, which one is which. We can have assurance and we can be assured of our salvation, but we can't have assurance if we take it for granted. So Paul doesn't just want us to see that people are saved. That's a start. He wants to see them then go on to further the faith. He wants to see them become mature disciples of Christ. Uh, So for us as a church, we describe that uh, as we talk about who we are together as growing together. Uh, As we grow together, part of that is we need to know, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. So God has set us on a path. Uh, That path involves serving him in the present and it has a clear hope for the future. Uh, But life's complicated, isn't it? Every single day you come across a thousand little crossroads uh, where you need to make decisions. And those decisions have consequences for better and worse. Uh, Some of those consequences are quickly and easily seen. Uh, Sometimes those consequences come back to bite us, you know, way, way down the path. So we need to be clear about where we're going and what our purpose is. And so the more we know about who God is and the way he wants us to live, then unsurprisingly, uh, the more we can walk the path that he wants us to walk, uh, that we can live the life that God has called us to live. Uh, And we do it as an expression of our love for God and allegiance and commitment, uh, but we also do it for our own sake. Uh, We might be servants, but we have a good master. He's a master who wants good things for us. And he's a master who shows us how to live well in this life and how to relate well 
in this life. And of course, the, the big carrot at the end is our hope of eternal life. I think so often we cling to this life as if it's the only hope we have. And so we go to extraordinary lengths to stay longer. And there's lots of good reasons to stay longer. We, we love life, we love people, uh, and we grieve when death separates us from those people we love. But in God's scheme of things, he's made our flawed existence now finite, but offers an eternal existence that is flawless. So in the words of Revelation 21, wonderful words, look, God's dwelling place is now amongst the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his God and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That's a pretty good hope. Uh, And God will deliver on what he has promised because God does not lie. Lying in the city or the, the, the island of Crete was a really big issue. Uh, in fact, it was sort of culturally acceptable to lie. And it wasn't... So here, when Paul talk, talks about God does not lie, he's affirming God's character, but he's also having a bit of a dig at the culture of Crete. And perhaps the most classic example was their god Zeus, So Greek god Zeus, uh, who, you know, they sort of held up as the epitome of virtue. Uh, One of the great stories, or one of his great conquests, was where he takes on the form of a woman's husband to seduce her. And so Paul wants to say, the God of Israel, the God that you are following, is nothing like these Greek gods and demigods that the rest of this country worship. And this God is faithful to his promises. And this God will save people for eternity. And it's always been part of God's plan. So in the Old Testament, to just pick a few verses, Psalm 16, Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with the joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And to pick one more uh, from the book of Job, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I am not another. How my heart yearns within me. So the hope of eternal life isn't just a Titus idea or a Paul idea uh, or a New Testament idea. This is what God has been promising from the beginning. This is what all of history has been working towards. And of course, for us, we see it that much more clearly, don't we? Because we see it on the other side of what Jesus did uh, in his life and then in his death, resurrection and ascension. And so this is the message that he's now proclaiming. Verse 3, which now at his appointed season, he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Saviour. 
Now, as Christians, we trust that the Bible is the Word of God. So we trust the Old Testament is the Word of God because Jesus affirms the Old Testament. And we trust Jesus because he died on the cross and rose again from the dead and did all sorts of miraculous things. Uh, We trust Paul perhaps for three reasons. I think firstly, Paul's experience on the Damascus Road places him in a position to know the truth. And his experience is confirmed by this guy called Ananias, who we read about, uh, and it's recorded by Luke in the book of Acts. Secondly, Paul's teaching is consistent with the teaching of Jesus. So we've got, they say it in different words, but we've got the same big message. Uh, I think thirdly, Paul's words are affirmed by the other apostles. Uh, So for example, Peter. So this is what Peter says in one of his letters. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do other scriptures, to their own destruction. But I think ultimately, it comes down to a matter of faith. You know, for the sceptic, they sit there and go, well, Paul could be lying, Luke could be lying, Ananias could be lying, Peter could be lying. And so in the end we are left having to say, well, what do we believe is true? Who do we trust? And certainly for us as Christians, we are thankful for God's mercy because we read these words and we believe that they are true and in these words they contain eternal life. Finally, Paul closes his introduction with a personal greeting to Titus, my true son in our common faith. And we don't know a lot about Titus. Uh, We know he was Greek. Uh, He travelled with Paul. And the language of true son means he was probably mentored personally by Paul. And so Paul comes with the authority of Jesus and Titus comes with the authority of Paul. Uh, But what binds them together most significantly is their common faith in Jesus as the Christ. And so he concludes with this beautiful summary of our faith. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Saviour. If you've been around uh, Christian things for a while, you hear each of those words and they are incredibly familiar. In fact, they can become so familiar that they kind of lose their sense of wonder. Uh, But each one speaks to who we have been called to be and the nature of the God we follow. We are saved by grace. And we are called to show the same grace to others. We have peace. Peace with God. Peace about who we are in the world. Peace even in the midst of persecution and suffering. And that grace and peace come from God the Father and through Jesus who was the Christ who's been promised all the way through the Old Testament and who brings salvation. Yeah, in the Roman world, uh, Caesar was often referred to as a saviour. And he rescued the world from chaos and war. And he is the one that promised Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Uh, But now Paul is proclaiming an even greater saviour. One that is born in a stable and crucified on a cross. But who has saved humanity from the chaos of sin and death 
and offers not just temporal peace, not just momentary peace, but peace with God. You know, as Paul writes his letter to Titus, he's very clear about his desired outcome. He wants to further the faith of the elect. He wants them to go from sort of wobbling along and just pedalling to confidently cycling down that path that God has set out for them. And I hope that's what we want for ourselves. Uh, We don't just want to be Christian in name and we don't just want to be sort of good, moral, upstanding citizens. We want to be genuinely followers of Christ who are eager to do what is good. You know, one speaks to our allegiance and motivation, the other speaks to our action. And so as we go through this letter, I hope what we come out, what we get out of it is this picture of what it looks like for us to have both Christ and doing good in our lives. Uh, But for today, I hope that the passage has done one simple thing, which is to simply stir us up to desire to want to further our faith and to see others further their faith. And we start that by seeking to know God better as he speaks through his word and as we proclaim that word to one another. Let me pray. Dear Lord, we do thank you for your word that you speak, that you speak clearly and that in your word you have given us the words of eternal life. So, Lord, I pray as we reflect uh, on this particular letter to Titus uh, that you might help us to see your nature and character, help us to see how much we are loved and help us to see how we might serve you faithfully and do the good that you have called us to do. Amen.